Howdy, howdy, and welcome to Null Pointers. We are your hosts, Stephen, Mark, and Gerald. And today we will be talking about logging and monitoring. So stay tuned. So before we start our episode on logging and monitoring, you may have noticed that last episode I was not here, even what? though my two companions what? my two companions did their utmost best to impersonate me, um, and I thanked them for that. It was awesome. I listened to the pod, and you were like, you were like, was I there? Was I there? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. I'd say I felt I felt like did I miss something somewhere mm-hmm. along the way? I, mm-hmm. I I wasn't there, right? But I was. Um, yeah, so that, that was awesome. Thank you guys. So yeah, I went off to the hospital. My wife got a baby and things kind of collided schedule wise. Well, she actually got the baby and I (laughs) stood by (laughs) Mm -hmm. holding hands. Heroically. Heroically. Yes. I I was very heroically. Mm -hmm. Things cannot be unseen. Um, (laughs) but yeah, it, it was it was great. Everything went well. The baby's doing well. So there's really not much more to say than than that. Everything good, went well. Good, good, So yeah. yeah, now we're back. The three of us, the actual three of us, not some impersonations. Um, and I think Mark especially kind of got the hots for something that um, I saw floating around on Twitter this morning about Raspberry Pi. Maybe. Maybe I did. Yeah, so... Maybe you have seen this in the meantime yourself, dear listener. There has been a new Raspberry Pi released. Some say it reminds them of the legendary Atari. Some say it reminds them of a keyboard. Uh, fact is, you can now buy a keyboard with a Raspberry Pi within. So you could pop in a SD card, program your favorite OS onto it, and then... Well, except your favorite OS is macOS, so probably that will not work. But back to topic, you can choose your favorite OS apart from macOS and then install a Visual Studio Code Editor, since that runs everywhere, and hook it up to code spaces. Am I right, Gerald? And have yes. the best hacking machine ever, probably. Absolutely. So the Raspberry Pi has, I've, everyone knows the Raspberry Pi, right? But it's a little, like, they were the little machines on, on one tiny motherboard, basically, which has all the connectors. So you just had to plug in your HDMI, your network, your USB, and you were good to go. And it was very popular because it's very cheap. Um, I mean, it's very powerful for the thing it is, but it, of course, compared to other things it's not very powerful but um you know and and i think this particular one is 40 times more powerful i read somewhere than the initial one so that's very cool uh they've been doing this for a lot of years now um but what they've released right now is like the form factor of a keyboard uh which holds the raspberry pi and together with that they will i think supply like the the power supply so the keyboard um, uh, a couple of other things, probably the SD card that, that Mark mentioned. And, you know, so you have a very lightweight 
thing that that runs probably on Linux. That's that's what's mostly used on it, some kind of uh, shape or form of that. Uh, but yes, so Visual Studio Code is supported on Linux, and of course for Visual Studio Code Space. Oh, I need to say GitHub Code Spaces. Excuse me. Um, you just need to um, have either or Visual Studio Code or a browser. So it's perfect for that. I would say go out, buy it, do all the things, and be happy in your life. I think it was $80 or something, right? Uh, yes, I think it was somewhere around there. And uh, so, so will this bring back the joy of hooking up the computer to your family TV and then all these happy smiley faces while you program some Pong? I'm right, that must be it. <laughs> Have you ever experienced <laughs> that you were programming to... You, you sat down the family and you said... Come here, children, nephews, nieces. We are going to program some Pong. Here, you're going to see me go crazy over some debugging and pull out my hair. And then I'm going to give up, throw the table over. Then I'm going to walk out. Then I'm going to come back, fix that bug. And then we're not going to play Pong because it's bedtime. That's that's <laughs> something that you did? Yeah, yeah. And I call okay. it sleep therapy. All right, cool. Yeah, because probably everybody knots off by the time the thing has turned on. Mm-hmm. True, true. Mm-hmm. I, that reminds me. You heard it here first. The, <laughs> of the old days where, you know, I, <laughs> I I particularly remember like the, that was just when like the uh, media centers came around. So I had the boxy box, which was a pretty cool thing. And it was like, you know, it, it was a pretty, pretty good one because before that you had to like, uh, uh, put a cable between your computer and the TV. And then uh, you had your very legally downloaded series or movies, um, mm-hmm. And then you had your subtitles and you hoped that they were matchy because, you know, if they were not, then they would, <laughs> would not be in sync. Uh, and there was always something, right? So the, the subtitles were not in sync. The, uh, the, the, the video was crap. The, the quality uh, or the audio was crap or your cable wasn't. There was always something. So, you know, it, and I hoped with that media center box that it would be fixed, but it was not. So, you know, I found myself before watching every movie or thing fiddling around for 10, 20 minutes. And then the people I was going to watch the movie with, they were like, you know, let's let's just do something else. I don't, it, it's okay. Said, no, no. <laughs> now we're going to watch the movie. Um, kind of. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Me of just, just like another 15 to 20 minutes and it will be great. Yeah. Yeah. No, no I'm almost yeah, there. I'm almost there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the good old days before streaming came. Oh, yeah. So to, to segue away from your old school CRT monitor playing Pong, let's, let's talk about actual monitoring that has nothing to do with the physical monitor um, and, and why you should be doing it or what it even is. Let's, let's start there. Um, so monitoring and logging or logging and monitoring, whatever you want to call it. Um, they're basically two separate things, right? And they're... They both serve the purpose of you knowing what's happening to your app when it's out in the wild or to your piece of software, actually. It doesn't necessarily need to be an app. It tells you about errors, about how it's doing, uh, resource consumption, all that sort of fancy stuff. Um, And just to to give you insights, basically, in what's happening and to have someone look at charts all day that are up on some sort of fancy dashboard that you made around (laughs) it. and as soon as some gauge is going into the red, you just press a button, restart your entire Azure environment and all that good stuff. Out of, off the cuff, what what are your experiences in your day-to-day regarding monitoring? I mean, most of the companies that I've worked for have had this, this goal that I described of a big monitor hanging somewhere 
showing you all the bits and bobs, but I, I never really saw any of those projects come to fruition. Yeah, I, I actually have worked at a place where they had it. They had one, I think maybe two screens up there, and they were using oh, what's it called? Oh, I can't remember. Well, Mark probably knows. Um, so, but, no, no, that rings a bell though. But uh, no, it was something else. But doesn't are you matter. just naming random things? Yeah, just... no, those are actual frameworks. <laughs> Kibana, Lombada. It's, it's 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 with the elk stack, you know. Yeah. So no? um... <laughs> another time, maybe another time, maybe. Um, elk, that's like, that's like a moose or something, right? Well, anyway. Um, so, but they had these two big screens because they were at some point like the biggest um, um, company, Dutch company that were using the most databases on Azure, blah, blah. Um, so, you know, and uh, I say blah, blah, but it was it was very cool. It was a very cool solution. It still is. So they built basically their own private cloud thing. Um, and, you know, do you want to monitor that? So as soon as some things go bad, then it would show up on that actual monitor. And um, um, it was it was pretty cool. I know. I, do, I don't know why, why people want to have that. I mean, you could have just, have an email sent whenever something goes wrong, but it's it's kind of like the feeling that you're in control or something. I think so. You're you're in the control center. You work at NASA and you have these big monitors uh, that show you the status. I think it's kind of that feeling. I don't know, um, but yeah. So the, that's the the only time that I um, um, saw that actually, and it, it it was kind of useful. You know, it's every time. So I think it may be even more. Uh, this is I I just make it up as I'm talking about it, but. Uh, maybe it's just something that makes you also more aware of like the quality of your service because you know this is this is typically a service thing that you have like this big dashboard up there um, where you have like a service that uh, should be running twenty four seven and and it makes you more aware as a developer probably that also you know that's like the the thing that you're doing it for that's where all your users live. Um, on on that screen. So whenever you know that's going red, then then all of them are um, very unhappy. So maybe unconsciously um, it it does something like that as well. But other than that, you know, it just shows you a lot of great information, and um, uh, everyone can see what's going on. Certain values of um, things not connecting or not working, and you can um, immediately hit that big red button and come into action. Yeah, the big red button to come into action. Reminding me of uh, some of the products that I have worked on, uh, especially one comes into mind where we also had this monitoring setup. And uh, yeah, I think it was quite interesting because at the time it was still quite fancy to have those monitors on the wall and you could see how many uh, customers were purchasing stuff uh, in the system. You could also see how long a request took through the pipeline, stuff like that. So those metrics, they... At the beginning, it was more or less an indicator that the system is still alive. And, and over time, these graphs, they then transformed into a health monitor, so to speak. So you could then judge from how long a request took through the system, if it's under load, how well it's doing, um, when new pieces were deployed into the system. Are there any errors now sadly popping up? Are there some uh, strange uh, requests uh, surely so showing up on one of those graphs? So that was quite interesting and i think that was more or less the the technical part that was monitored there a lot and it was mainly the back end that was really closely monitored and i think if you speak about 
monitoring in general, it's always a bit like the the operation side of your app. So when I started out developing, I think logging was more of an afterthought because once you deployed your thing into production and something went wrong and you were asked like, hey, uh, we got a bug and you go like, oh, I got no idea. I will have to F5 and debug the steps. And what did you do exactly? And that can be quite cumbersome or not really an option once it's running. So putting some basic logging into there was uh, then always a great idea to just see like, hey, what's even going wrong? And depending on the app, that can also lead to many different scenarios. So if you got like a desktop app, you can just log onto the hard disk and then you can open the log file and then you can have the user send you the log file so you can read through it and stuff like that. But once you're like in a, in a, on a mobile phone or you're up in the cloud on some server where you might not even have a direct storage because it's some uh, platform running as a service, uh, those things, they get a bit more complicated. And then you have to look into how can you uh, send those locks maybe to a, a lock server and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, but thinking about locks, did you ever use like some logging for some business aspects? So what do you mean by business aspect? So that you use logging for like the, the, the actions that users are doing in your application or what do you mean by this? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, the uh, A-B testing comes into mind and like uh, how many times your app gets used a day by different users. Um, right, right, right. So I think that is something that is applicable to like the, the mobile apps that we are usually talking about, right? Because that is the things that most people want to know in at least like the, the mobile perspective, I think. Um, so A-B testing is, is very interesting, uh, but you had this great, back in the day, you had this great solution by Xamarin, actually, uh, which, what was it called, Stephen? We, we looked into it back then. Xamarin Insights, was that it? Uh, yeah, I think it was called Insights. I think I even have a, a blog post still somewhere on my blog saying goodbye to it. We'll dig it out and we'll put it in the show notes. Um, but so that had a great um, uh, reporting mechanism where you would get all these things for free, basically, whenever you put in like the NuGet package and it would report back like um, how often was the app started, how long were the sessions, um, what, you know, what um, uh, provider, so the, the the phone, the network provider, were they using to, uh, even up to the level of battery levels, I think. And you could uh, um, enrich that with all kinds of data that you put in there yourself. Uh, I think we've mentioned this before, but whenever you start doing that, um, you might want to get careful um, because, you know, that that is something that you see more and more. You have to be careful about the collection that you are, uh, sorry, the data that you're actually collecting um, and at least, you know, let the user know what you're collecting. Um, but yeah, so that is like the, the, the things that is uh, first top of mind. Um, but, but yeah, absolutely. That's something that, I think you should use not even like in the actual business. So you you call it like the business data mark. But I think that is very useful as well if you're just like a single developer, um, app developer um, that, that's just creating an app for the fun of it, or maybe you make money with it, um, who knows. But it's just very interesting stuff and you can really see what's going on with your app and how it's used and, and where uh, where it's used as well. So that's very cool. Sure, you're absolutely right. I think um, these things, they're not only for big enterprises. What I meant by saying, you know, like you got the technical aspects when you right, log. Right, so right, yeah. you're generally interested, like, 
do I have any exceptions or do am I am I uh, capturing any exceptions uh, always? Uh, do I have any warnings because something is not always as expected? Or maybe also like how long does it take to process a certain bit of, of data uh, while it goes through the system? And those things, they're my, they're, they are more, in my mind, they're more on the technical end because you can tell how healthy your app is or if a change has got something breaking or if something in your system is starting to break down, those can be your warning indicators. But if you look at it at your at your app from a business perspective, that can be an indie developer uh, writing a game or, or bringing out an app. Uh, you then have got a different uh, kind of information that you're looking at, like uh, how much is your app used, uh, what where are your users from, um, not maybe in the creepy way, but what languages are they speaking? In what languages do you want to translate your app into? Uh, what parts of your app uh, are being used? <clears throat> Sorry. And also, like, how long does it take to do a certain action? Like, how long does it take the user to purchase something? Or how long does it take the user to uh, start up uh, this uh, one section of your app to get something done? And I think those um, information things, they have less to tell you about how healthy your app is, but it's really important for your going forward. And that can be in mobile apps. It can also be in web apps, uh, desktop apps. I think those... Uh, topics they apply across the board. Yeah, so I agree there, Mark. Uh, but and and you know, it's also like dependent on it, it all depends, right? Because that's that's IT. It all depends. Um, but you know, like for your mobile apps, um, um, I feel it's more important to get those business stuff out. Uh, I mean, it's just as important to get like the the stack traces of crashes, etc. I mean, logging there is just as important as well. But right now, what I'm working on is like very surface oriented. So the only thing I'm really working on is like very hardcore backend stuff. Um, and there the logging, like the technical logging is maybe even more important, right? Because it's very hard to, you know, the, the, the thing that I'm actually working on mostly is a process that I cannot directly debug. So then logging is like, this, that's my lifeline. I mean, else I don't know what is going on, why it's doing what and how and how long. Um, so we really rely on the logging and the telemetry coming out there. Um, so, you know, maybe in those like backend server processes where you really want to keep tabs like with the monitoring and the actual monitors uh, in your in your physical room, um, you want to keep tabs on how healthy your service is uh, because, you know, it, it doesn't have like a UI that will tell you um, if something works or not. It, it's like all code that has to work together. Um, and besides the logging and, and the monitoring, you don't really have um, um, any any way of telling how good your software is doing. So I think that is a big reason of why you should do it right is there is there any other stuff that why um uh, why the monitoring is important why the lo uh, locking is important? yeah so there there's an app that we or i worked on quite some time ago um which kind of actually required it from a legal legal perspective so that was more of an, an audit tracing lock kind of thing um so who clicked which button and when did he do it um because it it involved quite some responsibilities if you clicked on set buttons um so they they wanted to have this entire trace so if they ever got audited they they would know exactly who approved what and who did certain actions 
um, and and why certain things took longer than they should. Um, so it's it was both on an audit and and process improvement kind of kind of angle. Um, so it's it, it, you can definitely use logging for that as well, obviously. And and that's yeah, that's a different a different why. It's not necessarily a, a technical one, just a from a legal perspective. I don't think a lot of um, companies would require that, but uh, no, it's definitely. I mean, there is also industries that definitely require that. So that that's then uh, absolutely something that you can do with that as well. Uh, basically, build your whole application with with logging and monitoring in mind. So. Um, that's pretty cool. But actually, we are touching upon, I think, a um, very interesting point here. So what is like the stuff that you want to um, log? And, and I, we're talking about logging and monitoring all the time. But the way I feel is that you cannot have monitoring without logging, right? So you're logging all kinds of data, and then you build monitors on top of that to to uh, basically visualize and and keep tabs on what's going on based on that logging information, right? Is that the way how you see it too absolutely yeah unless you want to dig through databases and go find all that stuff um yeah definitely cool cool i said something smart yay yay <laughs> so when when you want to get started uh from from a technical side obviously we i think all of us mostly dabble on on mobile and maybe azure related services Correct me if I'm wrong. If any of you are building desktop apps, then I'm so sorry. Um, so, from a technical perspective, where where would you start? Basically, so I, I have a blank app. I'm building one right now. Um, I don't have any logging, any monitoring. Aww. Where where would I start my process? Obviously, you need to. You can you can have multiple strategies, right? So I I can just log everything and see what I do with that data later if I ever need it, or or do I do it on a more like hyper focused way and think of an entire path and and document all the steps in that? And is there anything you you have done in the, in that regard? Huh. Um, I always think it's a good practice to start with not writing your own logging framework. Um, I've seen that in the past that some people have started to write their own logging framework. And uh, yeah, it, it might be a bit more complex than you think. Uh, same goes, up, I think, also for the monitoring framework. But when you start out in an app, I think it's always uh, good to know, like, what do you actually want to see once the app is running? So there are some low-hanging fruits there. And I think that's always when your app is crashing or it quits unexpectedly, that you then will uh, get notified that you probably did not think of a case and your app then crashed. And you have different ways how you can bind in a logging framework. Uh, we have mentioned this already, this framework already a few times on the show, and that's uh, App Center, which you can include into your mobile apps. And what he will do, it will register to the... Um, default exception handler so like when your app crashes you can you can register to a part which will get invoked shortly before the app goes away uh, which will then get the stack trace and the dump and everything and you can do that manually you can then use your own logging framework and with your own logging framework i mean like you can use another logging framework that does not have these batteries included approaches uh, but you can also use uh, frameworks that come with uh, these kind of exception locks out of the box and also some minimal uh, business 
logging, let's say like uh, how often is your app used, uh, how long is it used, how many downloads do you have, uh, all those things you will then get like for free. Um, choosing which strategy can come down to some stuff like uh, politics. So maybe you are not, or by politics, I mean the law, maybe you're not allowed to use a framework like App Center because by regulation, your log servers have to be in your own country or in, in a specific country. And then you actually have to roll your own infrastructure there too, uh, unless you have a provider that uh, caters to that specific demand. And those, I think, are some thoughts that you will have to do before starts to implement the logging. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the other things that I always really like is that you have like um, the multiple sinks where it can land. So um, that is like the term that you use for where where your data will will land, right? So you have like the logging framework and the logging infrastructure in place. Um, so you can just then call like logger.log and then you usually have some kind of... Um, um, level of information, right? Is, if, is it just informational or is it an error or is it a warning? So you can filter that out later. Um, but then from there, you can like decide on another level if you want some things to, um, maybe the error should go to uh, some kind of text file or maybe you hook up even your um, your actual errors to some kind of messaging service that automatically in your Slack or your team, something will come up whenever an error is happening. Um, and the informational ones are just, you know, getting written to text files, log files, maybe a database. Um, but I, I always like to have like the option to enable or disable multiple syncs and maybe have some logic in place to um, route some some log messages depending on their level or other information to uh, like the the um, right kind of, of logging um, um, way that you uh, might have in place. And I think with that, um, you know, you, what 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 is like the? Um, I think I meant to ask that earlier, but we got distracted because that's what we do. Um, so what what is like the type of information that you should typically log? I mean, it's probably some kind of date timestamp. Um, I already mentioned like the um, the logging level, so you have like I I don't know at a bare minimum, I think um, like maybe you have verbose, uh, which logs everything. You have informational, you have um, uh, warnings and errors, but the, what other things are you after whenever you start logging things? Yeah, if in case of an error, I would like to have as much as possible about what happened. Um, so stack traces, all the messages, um, as much details as possible. So also perhaps the user, when the user created the error, um, and also things like the maybe the path towards the error like if like you said you have different levels like info and error and warning and all that stuff if you can um kind of trace the route that they took to get to where they were when the error happened um through maybe info type error logging um you at least have some sort of a thing you can well use basically to try and reproduce um yeah, so also if, if it's happening on a phone, um, as much details as possible on the device uh, or on the system itself, if it's a laptop or a, a desktop or whatever. Um, and especially in, in, in the phone area where, where you can obviously have a very fragmented um, world out there with all the Apple and Android devices these days. So the, it might just be an error that happens on just the one combination 
that you won't ever see on any other combination. Oh yeah, that's the best errors. That's the best. Yeah, those, those are great. <laughs> um, so yeah, and and obviously, like like you said already, in a in some sort of a structured format so not just a big text dump uh and good luck with it see if you can figure it out um but really more of a a database type format where you can just search and filter through different columns and things like that um if people have ever seen uh the application insights on azure that is well i think that's that's heaven for people who love this kind of stuff yeah, uh-huh. that's a pretty good service. Um, but is, and that's I think you can use that for a lot of things. I never really dove deep in that, I must say. Uh, but I think you can also like put that in your app and get a lot of information that way. Uh, it might be not as specifically tailored to like your mobile app, but you you would have to do that yourself. But uh, I think there's a lot of data and a lot of um, um, flexibility in there to get all your data in and uh, build all kinds of power bi dashboards because you know everything's connected with everything um so that's that's pretty cool i think one thing that is very important in my life right now is like the correlation id uh, so you know for apps it's mostly uh you have a good overview it's within your app maybe you want to trace users through a session so that you can like identify without actually identifying um, a user and and which path they are taking uh, through your app, but your correlation ID. Whenever you go through like multiple services, so you know whenever you maybe have a um, micro architecture, micro services architecture kind of thing, um, or you know uh, working on the GitHub code spaces, you can imagine that there is a, a multitude of um, different services and things and you know even companies that are making this possible um, so you got to have some kind of correlation id which is nothing more actually than just an id that um, we generate upon entry in the system and then we just um, um, supply that with each request and then each server um, has to you know pick up that id and uh, put it on their own request so that you can simply use that ID to trace your requests through the multiple systems and servers. And um, so you know what path your code took um, and you can see where it went wrong and um, um, you can trace the, the that user or that session throughout the multiple systems. So I think that's, uh, depending on your situation, that can be a very important one as well. Absolutely a lifesaver, those correlation IDs, once you're starting to work in distributed systems and you have got no idea which action now invoked what's on which system. And for those cases, correlation IDs can be really great. Uh, Stephen, you touched on it. I am also a big fan of this structured logging, uh, which means you do not just simply send a huge string blob uh, up or, or, or log a huge string blob somewhere, but you actually split up your logging information into multiple parts, like with tags. Uh, what that allows you then is if you're using something like Application Insights on Azure, you can then write your own SQL-like queries to then all have those really nice dashboards coming to life. And it also allows you to really dig into the data that you have collected during logging. So if you have this structured logs, um, you could then say, okay, I'm interested in uh, like, for example, this correlation ID uh, between this and this time frame on that and that system, and you can then start to really dig into the into the data. If you would just have like a string, you would then have to 
it's possible technically, but you would then have to somehow pass through that string and it would be a lot more fuzzy because uh, people might name some things a bit differently on different systems and all those things. They can come up with strings. So yeah, I'm also a big fan of this new way of logging, this uh, structured logging that you can be doing. Speaking about of evaluating logs, uh, you guys have mentioned it. There are different ways how you can do it. Um, Gerald, you also even mentioned Power BI, which you then can uh, make even nice business charts out of certain things. Have you ever hosted your own logging server? No. No. Nope. Just me? Just you. Okay. You've hosted your own logging server? Why? 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 Well, because you can, Gerald, because you can. No, uh, we had some regulatory reasons why we did it. Uh, I also know of a company, they do it because they have quite a bit of infrastructure, like uh, their own little cloud that they're operating. And if you got that infrastructure, it's why not just host uh, your own service? And there are products out there. Um, I have used SEQ in the past where you can simply pipe your logs to the server and then you can also make beautiful nice charts and have a look at it and know what's going on and if something happens you can then dig into your log files that are stored on the server and i think what's really nice about having this and this goes also for hosted logging infrastructures if you have distributed systems like um, thinking about mobile apps it's really easy to include app center into your app uh, but if you then have a ASP.NET backend, you're probably not using App Center because you usually don't use App Center there. So then you use a different logging framework. And now you have the case that when you send a certain request off from the mobile app, something goes wrong. You see that there's an error in the in the app. So the user gets like a whoopsie, something went wrong. And then you want to dig into that. But since you use two different logging frameworks, your logs are like split up into two different systems. And that can be a real pain to then pinpoint the error where it happens. And for those reasons, um, it can be really great to have a single log service or maybe even host your own. Yeah, you've convinced me. I'm going to set it up right now. I'm going to do yeah. it. It's actually quite easy. <laughs> no, but that's, that's a good reason. It's uh, definitely, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, I've built um, enterprise apps, but there was never a need to go to that extent, um, actually. Uh, but yeah, so that was the thing that I was going to mention. Like for apps right now, we've mentioned like Xamarin Insights, but, um, you know, that's long gone. Those days are behind us. Uh, so right now, App Center is probably your best bet if you just want to have logs quickly and easily, um, at least for like how your app is doing. Um, you could then maybe come up with some way because the, the and I'm going to say they have nowadays the ability to add custom fields, but they've had it for quite a while now. Uh, when they started with App Center, it, it wasn't there while uh, it was there in, in Xamarin Insights. So that was kind of a, a step back, but uh, they have the ability to add custom fields in your um, App Center logging now as well. So maybe what you could do there is like, you know, uh, make up your own system for a little bit like a correlation ID where you can um, still fake that stuff a little bit. Um, but what are, what are other like, um, Nlog is something that comes to mind. Uh, that's like a locking framework for um, a lot of .NET kind of applications, right? What 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 else do we have? I think you have all the the Microsoft. Uh, what are they called? I think they were design patterns at some point, but I think they might have renamed them. 
Oh, and there's something built in now too, right? Oh, yeah, 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 right, right, right. Yeah, I know those. Yeah, yeah. What were they called? Like building blocks or something? I don't know. Let's put a link of those in the show notes. Yes. But it's also like built in now, right? Because whenever you start like an Azure function, um, you will also get like the i i logger or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's something built into the .NET framework um, as well. Yeah, I think it's it's the extensions at this point. Extend Microsoft extensions logging and all that stuff. Right, right, right. Cool. Yeah. So, and then they just put this interface around it so that it's very easily to swap out probably for another implementation who also uh, implements that interface. So, um, very cool stuff. Yeah. The iLogger interface, uh, I think it came along with ASP.NET Core, I mean, .NET Core. And yeah, it's, it's really cool because it allows you to swap out your uh, logging framework underneath. Um, so, if you start out with one logging framework and you suddenly see like, oh, um, I'm somehow locked onto my file system. Uh, you can then swap it out quite uh, like a lot more easily. You don't have to replace all your log statements and then uh, have a, a logging framework that might enable you to log to uh, your logging framework in the back end of choice. So what are you guys using in your in your current production apps for logging? Say someone wants to get started with this. Right after this episode, what do I need to install? Where do I need to go? Well, it depends, Stephen, obviously. Uh, no, uh, putting my consultant speak a bit back. Uh, I'm currently using uh, Serilog a lot for my um, logging framework of choice. Uh, Serilog has got many extensions where you could then say, I want to log it into the file and console and stuff like that, and also have it uh, log remotely to a uh, backend service, uh, a central hub where all the log information then comes together, which uh, can be really helpful if you have to provide some kind of support or know if something is uh, no longer running. So I'm quite a fan of that. If I would just have to do a mobile app without having to consider uh, hooking the log information up to other services, I might consider App Center. I know that App Center can also pipe its uh, log information forward to Azure App Insights. So you could then also have your, if your backend is running up on Azure, you get App Insights basically for free baked into that. You have to pay for the service, but it's quite easy to integrate it. And you could then also integrate your mobile logs into there. So that might be another approach, but uh, at the moment I'm not building my apps right now on Azure due to certain reasons. And uh, yeah, so that's my poison of choice. Gerald, what about you? Can you even talk about this stuff? No. NDA. No. NDA. I, I can't even tell you for sure at this point, to be very honest. Um, so I think, and I think that's something that other people can use as well. Uh, at least for like a lot of the telemetry stuff, we use Kusto. Did, did anyone ever hear of that? Um, so that is, I think, just some form syntax based on um, SQL. I think it's KQL, Kusto query language. Well, anyway, uh, so that's what, what we use for like the telemetry stuff. Um, so a lot of telemetry is, is coming off the products, as you might imagine. Um, and for other things, I, I don't know. There was a lot already there. 
um, when I joined the project. So I have the luxury of just saying logger.log, whatever, and uh, it will do stuff. Uh, but I'm not actually sure if we use like some um, uh, solution that we built ourselves, probably. Uh, because you know we also have to deal with a lot of um, things that is uh, personal. What is it? PII personal identifiable information. Ident uh, something like that. Um, so that we need to filter out. I mean, you know, if we are dealing with like the GitHub code spaces, so whenever we start logging, like even file names. I mean, even file names can be like lead to your identity, right? So we cannot store these things. Uh, so we have to be very careful about these things. So I wouldn't be surprised if we have like some kind of uh, proprietary uh, system in place that does all the stuff, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, and for me, it's it's mainly App Center at this point um, for both my private and my my company work. Um, it does exactly what I needed to do for our mobile apps, and it's it's. I don't know if, if it's entirely free, but for what I need from it, it's uh, free enough. So that's nice. And I think that uh, pretty much wraps up our episode on logging and monitoring. So if you have any cool tools that we need to know about, um, don't hesitate to hit us up on Twitter at NullPointers.io. We've been your hosts, Stephen Tewissen. Mark Alipone. And Gerald Schleis. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Stay safe. And until next week on Null Pointers. Bye-bye.